0: Hello, and welcome to the Rules of the Game podcast, where it is my job to discuss democratic institutions. There are broadly speaking two forms of government, parliamentarism and presidentialism. The main difference is that in a parliamentary system, the government depends on the support of parliament, the confidence of parliament, and it is also accountable to that parliament, While a president in a presidential system is elected by the people for a fixed term and does not depend on parliament, but is mainly accountable to the people. Examples of parliamentary systems are the United Kingdom, Germany or South Africa. Examples of presidential systems are the United States, Nigeria, Brazil or Chile. My guest in this episode of the Rules of the Game podcast is Tiago Santos, who has written the book titled Why Not Parliamentarism? He is convinced that parliamentarism is the superior form of government and describes his arguments in the book in detail. While it is nearly impossible to make a causal argument in this regard, Plenty of statistics in the book show that parliamentary systems perform really well in welfare terms. Together, we discuss what are the important differences between the two systems, what are possible advantages and disadvantages, and about his opinion on whether the electoral law, for instance proportional representation, matters when it comes to the well-functioning of the government system. We strongly agreed on the point that the discussion of this subject matter should be way more public and prominent across the globe. Tiago's motivation to write the book was first of all to contribute to that public discussion. Parliamentarism and the form of government is also pretty much absent in development economics or economic growth research, even though it seems to make such a big difference. Santiago Santos has been a Brazilian career diplomat since 2007 and has worked at the World Bank until quite recently. He has a law degree from Pontificia Universidade Católica de Rio de Janeiro, a professional degree from Instituto Rio Branco, Brazil's National Diplomatic Academy, and a master's degree from the University of Chicago, Harry School of Public Policy. None of the opinions here or in the book reflect the views of any institution he has been associated with. I am your host, Stefan Kuyberts, and this is the latest episode of my podcast, The Rules of the Game. I am a political economist with a PhD in economics from the University of Bern in Switzerland, and have previously held positions at the London School of Economics and Political Science and the Center for Global Development. You find a full transcript of the conversation on my website rulesofthegame.blog If you enjoy this episode please leave a review on your preferred podcast platform and share it with friends and colleagues Now please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Tiago Santos Tiago Santos very welcome to the Rules of the Game podcast I'm very happy to have you on the show Thanks for having me So, as usually, I start with the first question that I pose to all my guests. What is your first memory of democracy?
1: Uh, That's a great question. I have to say my first memory of democracy was when I was eight years old. It was the first presidential campaign in Brazil. Uh, My parents were very engaged politically, so they took me to a rally. And uh, I thought it it was a beautiful thing. Brazil was coming out of a 20 year dictatorship and uh this was the first presidential elections in a very long time and everybody was just very very thrilled with the idea of being able to vote and having democracy back again so it's uh it's a very fond memory
0: cool yeah that's a, that's a very beautiful memory and that was pretty much in the 80s right 1989 oh the first the first election was uh, 1989 then yeah okay yeah sure and did that in any way Kind of um, push your your motivation or where does your motivation to um, write your book? Why not parliamentarism? What created this motivation to write that book?
1: So actually not uh, uh, I was always a kid that was very engaged politically. I was always interested since since that day and and during my my teenage years, I was always uh, very interested in political. Uh, uh, issues, but uh, the motivation for the book is much, much more recent. Um, I talk about this a little bit in, in the book itself. So when I joined as an advisor at the, the Board of Directors at the World Bank, uh, uh, my former uh, uh, boss back then, Otaviano Canuto, invited me to, to write uh, an article on, on the economic effects of the Brazilian Constitution. And then I would research all these things that could affect uh, the Brazilian economy because of the of the constitution that we had. And then one inescapable aspect was that, well, Brazil has a presidential constitution and, and so many other countries have a different one. And I started doing research on this and it became very large already. So it would not fit the article. And... Uh, I just was so uh, dumbfounded by the, the 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 effects, the amount of evidence that I was finding, and, and the many many uh, uh, research areas from political science and economics and history that would point to this direction. That I felt a somewhat of a responsibility to write it. I I, I thought that this is something that, uh, for the amount of evidence that we have, for the size of the effects that we are talking about. That we do not have nearly as many people talking about it as we should. So um, I see myself as a as a person that's trying to only make uh, uh, the, the the issues more known. I'm not I'm not a, not a very original in, in in my book. I try to to take as much from from research from others as possible. So that was it. I was thinking that. Uh, the world not only was missing out on an opportunity to significantly improve people's lives, but as I, as I became more convinced that we are also seeing a phenomenon that uh, Pogumpti and Webb, as those those names are hard to say, talk about the presidentialization of politics. So we are seeing that uh, we are moving further away from the idea of parliamentarism. So I thought that someone should sound the alarm. <laughs>
0: I think the book is actually is very interesting. It's very um, nice to read because you bring in a lot of different aspects um, uh, around this this question. And I think your your motivation to write the book was probably quite similar to my motivation to to start this podcast because I always thought like uh, in somehow we already know a lot. We know a lot about institutions. Maybe we don't know so much about. The evolution of institutions and kind of these critical junctures and how we bring about institutional change but we kind of know a lot about you know which institutions are are more successful than others or which institutions bring more balance into into the political system and i think that's really a, a central question and um, also we can come back to the to the question of you know, why don't we see more of, of this discussion? But first, maybe for the listeners, can you quickly recap in what's, in your opinion, kind of what are the main characteristics of parliamentarism compared to presidentialism? And why? what are like your main arguments why uh, parliamentarism is is the,
1: the better gov- form of government? All right. Uh, so i like that you ask my opinion because... Uh, there are different definitions of parliamentarism the one that I use is I think the uh, a very broad one and, and I think it's it's pretty well defined is executive subordination to the legislature so if you have elements of that any characteristic that uh, means some more subordination uh, uh, of the executive to the, the legislature it means that the country is more parliamentarist and then there's less of it so there are there are There there is a continuum between parliamentarism and presidentialism, but you also can speak meaningfully of a presidential country and a parliamentary country, because these characteristics tend to lump together. Uh, This is not uh, uh, as widely shared as I would hope. Uh, There are some people that are much more strict, so you have thinkers like Sheibub that thinks that the the, the confidence procedure is the main characteristic of parliamentarism, is the defining issue. Uh, I disagree with that view. I think that, uh, for example, the choice of the head of the executive by the legislature is uh, as important as as that. So there are there are different definitions. I think that uh, mine is 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 pretty uh, uh, broad and, and and meaningful enough, and I I I, I like it. <laughs> so you 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 were asking. What the benefits are, right? You're, where, yeah, where or kind that, of right? what makes you believe or think
0: um, why is parliamentarism better? Like, what are kind of the main, you know, empirical results maybe that we know, or or uh-huh. how do you derive your your opinion on, on that?
1: So uh, there is this uh, uh, political scientist on Twitter, Marco Pelovic, who says that uh, everything is in lens, Juan Lens. Uh, the rest is commentary, so it's a joke with the, with the Talmud. And I think that he's he's onto something. I think that the, the main arguments are already there, and uh, what we have now and we're going to get to is a lot more evidence. So uh, I think we should start with, with Linz's argument, which is that uh, presidentialism has many perils, has many failures that parliamentarism does not have and, and, and still can keep the, the democratic... Uh, nature. So, the first one is is the dual legitimacy. That so the, there is a legitimacy that the president has, and the legitimacy of the parliament, and they both can claim uh, uh, truly that they represent the whole of the people, and this means that there is no systematic way for us to sort who is 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 above the other, and then they they will fight. They will uh, uh, they will use that. They will charge the people against one or the other. And this means that the uh, politics becomes a lot more dysfunctional because of this aspect. The other thing is that the winner-take-all aspect of it. So if you have parliamentary elections, even if there's a, country, uh, there's a party that's uh, majoritarian, there's enough differences between the members of parliament that there's always going to have to be some negotiation, a lot of negotiation, for the positions to be to be pushed through, whereas uh, by its very nature presidentialism holds uh, all the presidential powers, which is a lot of power, in the hands of a single person. Uh, and this means that uh, not only will you want your group to achieve the presidency because of all the benefits that are associated with that, but you really don't want to be in the group that loses the presidential elections because there's so much... A, a harm that derives from that to, to your groups, so um, polarization increases dramatically because you only have the incentive to, to 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 win the presidency, and then everything will be sorted out. You don't have to negotiate with the other groups anymore. You you you're sort of out of the risk. So that's a, a, a very important one. Uh, you have the rigidity, and yeah. And also maybe one uh, just. Uh, to
0: chip in here quickly also the the presidential government is much more hierarchical usually than the the parliamentary right if you have like parliamentarism usually has a more collegial kind of coalition government and the coalition kind of works on solutions like legislative solutions while in presidential systems we have more strong hierarchy so we have a president who has Kind of a lot of power just vested in in his office, and that usually appoints um, the whole cabinet, right? And also um, I mean a lot of cabinet positions in the US, for example, still need to be confirmed by um, by the Senate, right? But in many other countries, um, the presidential appointments are pretty much secured. so the president has a has a lot a lot of power. So, as I also from your book, as you write, the the U.S. presidential system is actually not even one of the very representative um, system in terms of how much power is vested in the president. Because in the U.S. system, the Congress still is kind of a, a strong check on on the president. While in other presidential systems, the president has even more
1: uh, power in his office. Is that would you agree to that? No, no, completely. Uh, so the, the Congress in the U.S. has historically a lot of power. It still has a lot more power than the typical Congress in a, in a Latin America or African country uh, continents that have a lot of presidential uh, uh, constitutions. And uh, for example, as you said, the confirmation thing, the, the, the power over the, the, the purse, the power of the purse that the Congress has in the U.S. is not uh, the same as many Latin American countries. Other uh, appointments too. To, public companies and uh, even Woodrow Wilson the first uh, PhD with uh, a political science PhD that became president called the the system that the US has congressional government so uh, you you even have on, on that a very uh, different aspect than what uh, um, Simon Bolivar the 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 person responsible for the independence of many Latin American countries said that we would have elected kings with the name of presidents in, in Latin America. And when he said kings, he meant kings uh, before parliamentarism, the, the, the kings that uh, had a lot of power. So, so think that you have a Louis XIV in, in each Latin American country and uh, that, that happens to be a- a- elected. But uh, the, the, many of the, the, the pairs are the same. So you're absolutely right that uh, the U.S. has a very very atypical presidential system. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the rigidity, what, what did you,
0: like just before I, I oh, yes. interrupted you, um, what was that thought?
1: So uh, it's, it's also part of Lin's uh, thesis that uh, you have a problem of rigidity in presidential systems. So um, uh, in, in Germany, for example, Angela Merkel uh, is considered a, a very good prime minister. She can stay there for many, many years and not be considered a, 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 a threat to democracy because of all the, 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 the benefits of, of parliamentarism that they can remove her at any time if they want. So she, she was in Germany, she led Germany for, for many, many years. Whereas in presidential systems, you will always have some limit to re-election because if you don't have a limit to re-election, the president will naturally accumulate so much power over him that he will never leave. So since the beginning of, of, of the presidential uh, uh, system, you have limits to elections. So you have a time that he must leave so he can stay more if, if, if it's good enough. And yet, if the president is doing really badly, you also can't remove the, that person very easily. So the rigidity is something that it's really makes very hard for a country to adjust its directions given uh, changes in circumstances changes in the opinion of the of the capacity that the president has to have enough support the competence that he has on economic and political and and, and military issues all sorts of things so you have a situation where the political uh, uh, um, the political class does not see the president as a leader anymore, a comp- competent leader or a leader that can uh, uh, promote uh, the proper changes, but yet they must stay there. And this is just reforms that must be passed don't get passed, and that sort of thing. So rigidity is is a very bad feature of presidentialism. And, of course, uh, in, in a parliamentary system, you have the, 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 many have the, the, the possibility of calling elections, early elections. So... Even parliament is dissolved, but you always will have the capacity to appoint the, the, the prime minister. Very often you have the, the capacity to remove the prime minister at any given time, and this allows for a lot more flexibility. So and um, the, the, the fourth uh, uh, characteristic that uh, I would talk about is the personalism. So whereas in, in parliamentary systems you think of the government as a collective uh, thing as, as, as a collective endeavor and in presidential systems it's very easy to equalize the government with the person of the president and that has all sorts of risks the, the loyalty is much more prized than uh, uh, capacity to solve problems and so and being competent and, and this personalism uh, very often uh, uh, increases the polarization that we talked about earlier and uh, has many other uh challenges to to, to do anti corruption and and that sort of thing so you see many problems with with presidentialism so with and this is this is i think is very much uh, uh current uh Shebub, who is an author that i talked about already challenged on the, the coalition part that uh, that you mentioned but uh even if it's true that presidential uh countries do have coalitions. These coalitions are not nearly as strong as the coalitions that happen to 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 appear in parliamentary countries because they get to decide everything. Whereas in in presidential systems, these coalitions are very often uh, an exchange of small favors that uh, the president has to have the minimum support so that he can promote his agenda. So it's the nature of the coalitions are very different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, and also I think. The, like in general to me it seems always like institutions that di- kind of divide power or share power among different persons in, in in the same political body are usually more balanced and come to probably even better decisions and in presidential systems you have kind of the the president that uh, kind of attracts all the attention while um, for me always what happens in parliaments is actually, way more important because that's really the, the legislative body and something I don't really understand is why don't parliaments take more power away from, from presidents because you, like also in your book say that you know in most presidential systems the, the presidents have even more power than for example in the US. Um,
1: it's It's the president has the immediate ability to name and, and fire so many people and he's responsible for executing the budget. Uh, and I think that uh, he he's able to do a strategy of divide and conquer. So any uh, um any member of parliament that would try to do to, to that thing so try to remove powers from the president uh would have a hard time because the, the president has so many capabilities to to Provide uh, uh, incentives, let's just say it that way, for the the, the Congress people that uh, they just feel it's not uh, very realistic. But having said that, I do think that there is a struggle. There is a, a, a an evolve, an evolving relationship. So sometimes the president will have a lot of popularity, and he will rely on 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 his popular support to to encroach parliament, but sometimes parliaments do stand up to presidents and are able to negotiate to uh, to a constitutional bargaining of sorts. Uh, Roger Congdon uh, tells about how constitutions evolved more than they were implemented all at once. And this happened more in, in monarchies than in presidential countries. I think that there's, and I haven't developed this idea very much yet, but I think there's some sort of presidential trap. So because you have to renovate the president every time, it's hard for the for the for for the repeated games, the iterated games that Parliament and the president would play, and that uh, a king and Parliament play, to come up with mutually beneficial solutions, which would lead to a gradual increase of of parliamentary power. In a presidential system, this is really hard because the president has a fixed mandate; he has to take all of the benefits that he can in a very short amount of time. So it's hard Every And then then there there comes a new president and he will want all the power that he can have.
0: One thing that for me, to me, is is very uh, important is also the electoral system. So when you say, why not parliamentarism? I would say, why not proportional representation? <laughs> so it seems that the, the the balance of power also within parliament is really important. And what is the kind of party landscape uh, in parliament also affects how successful parliamentarism is, I would say, because you see like um, a parliament where With majoritarian elections, like single-seat, plurality elections, like we have in the UK, you end up with fewer parties, uh, like bigger parties. And um, that is compared to a system which is more proportional, like, for example, uh, in Germany, where you have more smaller parties that build a coalition. So one danger I I I think I see in parliamentary system is when they are combined with majoritarian election is that really gives if you have a majority of one party in parliament it gives the government a whole lot of power do you have any thoughts on that or or because in the book you you mention it but you don't like you don't discuss it uh much i'm just curious whether whether you think just parliamentarism is is more important than kind of the
1: electoral system itself I do think parliamentaryism is more important, and this is this comes from being from Latin America. So many countries in Latin America do have a proportional representation system, including Brazil, and uh, we see that the perils of presidentialism are still there. There was even a time that some people that make the the the, the charge that uh, proportional representation is particularly uh, dangerous in a presidential country. So. That, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not going into that discussion. I just think that, uh, given the the, the the history, given the, the the framework that I use for for my book, the amount of uh, evidence from the sanity check. If we look at the countries today, uh, which are doing uh, best in terms of development, democracy, all sorts of things, are they nat- naturally proportional representation? I don't think so, because you have many countries that uh, that are from British. Uh, uh, colonies, uh, Australia or or Canada, and and, and the UK itself has developed tremendously under the majoritarian system. So I'm not saying that I don't like proportional representation. I do like it. I just think that it's not as decisive as uh, uh, as we think. I think that uh, it might be harming Current parliamentary countries, yes, I think that it might be harming, but it's not uh, uh, the, the kind of harm that is unsurmountable. Uh, we see that uh, uh, majoritarian countries can still do very well, whereas uh, presidential countries with proportional representation are still struggling a lot to, to, to get out of the middle-income trap to, to, to consolidate their democracies. So, if if I take a look at the historical evidence, the the the, the, the statistical evidence, I think that parliamentarism has a lot more going for it than proportional representation. I'm not against that, I just it wouldn't be my priority.
0: Okay yeah that's interesting and because I recently always thought like you know proportional representation is is so important but I think the next few years will be quite interesting to see how how the two different systems um, also develop because Uh, I'm wondering, you know, in the UK what's going to happen with the conservatives because they really seem to uh, concentrate a lot of power uh, in their hands and they also have a tendency now to, you know, kind of change the rules of the game. And also on the other side, for example, in Brazil, I'm, I'm curious to see what happened because whether a proportional representation can kind of keep the president in check, you know, but let's uh, that's kind of uh, maybe a, a, another discussion for 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 a later moment one thing i'm curious is you know in development um discussions these fundamental institutional questions like the form of government like parliamentarism versus presidentialism they just don't seem to be a very um like central topic do you know why that is? Is this more like that development question usually evolve around uh, policies and economic um, questions rather than rather than political
1: institutional questions? I, I I agree that they don't happen nearly as as much as they should, and I'm still a little bit puzzled as to why they don't. I don't think that they are that uh, threatening. Uh, so there are many issues that uh, involve uh, a lot more sensitive topics. You think of anti-corruption, so you, if you think of many uh, international organizations are directly involved in anti-corruption uh, 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 initiatives, and these initiatives very often will involve some of the leaders, some of the, the, the political leaders of the country, and they still think that it's worth to, to pursue that avenue, so it's it's it puzzles me why form of government is not more explored. I think, and then this comes from from, from talking to, to many people from, from seeing that people really don't realize the difference that it makes. People think, oh, maybe parliamentarism is a little bit better than presidentialism, but it's like uh the metric system for the US. Maybe the US should adopt the metric system, but that's not what's holding a country mm-hmm. back, right? You you wouldn't make adopting the metric system, the number one priority that you would have for, for, for any single country. And I think that that's what people see about uh, presidentialism and parliamentarism. They just don't realize, or maybe they disagree with, with my thesis. I'm not saying that I have all of the truth, but uh, I, I think that they don't realize how large this is.
0: Mm, I would totally agree with that. Uh, I think also that because development questions are often... Um, uh, kind of researched on by economists, I think the the political economy aspect and especially the political aspect, not even the political economy aspect, but you know the form of government, the, the fundamental institutional questions are not talked about enough. And I think we totally agree on this point um, that it should have uh, m- way more more space in the in the international discussion. Even though one one thing that is probably tricky, or two points even. The first is that bringing about institutional change is hard. So, uh, I don't know, like advisors or like like the kind of um, international organizations, they are maybe reluctant to even talk about it because they know it's, it's really hard to bring about change. And also, obviously, the, the question of a, a country's kind of... Um, you know, uh, sovereignty or non-interference of of foreign force. So it's for sure, it's kind of also a a kind of critical topic, I would say. But definitely in general, we should see a lot more discussion around it because I think also the people should know more about these different, different systems.
1: You know, I, I agree with you—the view that the economists don't pay enough attention to this—and I, I completely agree. And uh, and I I was thinking of a syllogism the other day, which is funny that people don't make it very often. Economists are very aware that institutions are, uh, are central to development, right? So since Asimoglu and Robinson published "Why Nations Fail," it became uh, mainstream uh, e- economics. And whereas in political science, people are very aware that. Uh, presidentialism is very harmful to the political environment so if we just connect these two and we say okay of course the the political environment is very connected to institutions so they will affect each other so of course it has to so if if, if the form of government is as important to the politics of a country as political scientists seem to agree and if institutions are as important to development as economists seem to agree then it has to be the case the form of government is very very important for development. So I think that uh, the, the 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 this little click of of communication between political scientists and economists would be enough for people to to move a lot more in that direction.
0: Yeah, for sure. Also I think even even in political science the the public discussion could be much um stronger on on institutional questions, I think. Uh what we kind of see for example now in the in the U.S., um, also with the, um, you know related to the electoral law, um, there is now a huge discussion. But it kind of was hidden uh, a bit under in 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 academic circles before uh, coming really to the to the public forum. And I think these questions are are fundamental. Also. Obviously, we see that, especially European countries with parliamentary system, but also for me, as I said, por- uh, proportional representation, uh, which is very important. Um, these two topics, you know, they are they are pretty um, well spread in in Europe, and we see European countries have developed very um, fair uh, and 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 yeah. More equitable societies, um, but at the same time, for example, in Africa, in African countries, we see that most countries have uh, both a presidential system. Well, yeah, at least many have um, majoritarian elections, and many also have a, a presidential system. Uh, and I think I I can't understand why why this is not um, part of of the central discussion
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i'm still puzzled too and um it's you, you you mentioned africa and it's it's remarkable that botswana uh one of the three countries that uh have been consistently parliamentary is uh, has been developing the fastest in africa so that that this doesn't strike out uh to many people as well maybe there's something there <laughs> it's something that um that i'm still puzzled by
0: Is your your hope with your book you know I, I think with your book you wanted to start a discussion uh, on on that topic which I strongly um, support um, what and what is kind of your hope where where this discussion would lead to or what kind of are the the avenues that um, you know kind of people who are interested in that could could
1: go down so uh, I would really like to see more research on this. So I think that this, is, although we have a lot of evidence for it, uh, we could still do a lot more research on this. So if we compare, and I always like to compare it to democracy because democracy is 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 something that is so uh, uh, present in everyone's lives. So if we look at the amount of research that we have for democracy compared to parliamentarism, parliamentarism is really small. And I think that the the size of the effects are, are are comparable so I would like to see a lot more research I would like to see more uh, um, people engaged in trying to to promote the sort of of legislation the sort of initiative that uh, that uh, would make a country more parliamentary even if they cannot change the Constitution overnight but uh, just just to talk about uh, uh uh parliament in a better light would be already better uh, uh we 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 always and, and parliament seems to be the punch bag of of every democracy in the world it's, it's, it feels like oh people love democracy if only parliament wouldn't stand in the way and then well you if you love democracy then you should really love a parliament even if you don't like a specific Member of Parliament, which of course we won't always like. All the members of Parliament, that the institution itself should be more protected, should be more promoted, and uh, and that's the kind of thing. I, as you said, I would really like to spark a discussion on this. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't uh, want to see huge changes happening overnight, but not to discuss this at this point. I feel like and. I feel it's like not discussing climate change. If, if uh, that's that's the sort of of effect size that I think this has, this is is urgent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I even think,
0: in, like NGOs that are engaged in democracy, like uh, that are fighting for democracy, or even also not discussing it like enough.
1: <laughs> because exactly. for yeah.
0: me, it's like such a central central issue. Exactly, Together with the electoral law often. Yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> of no, no, and, and that's 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 something that I think is even counterproductive because often these NGOs they do a great job of promoting democracy and talking about the elect, electoral competition and then they they create this environment. People are tired of, of authoritarianism and they go and they give democracy a chance, but they give a, a flawed kind of democracy, which is presidentialism, a chance, which will uh, uh, have all sorts of problems and very, very often devolves into authoritarianism once more. And this will make people more cynical of democracy in the first place. So I would really think that for the benefit of these NGOs, for these institutions that are promoting democracy in the world, that they would talk about, well, we should really do the, the one that has worked best in the countries that has been tried. Yeah, exactly.
0: Cool. Yeah, totally agree. So to wrap up the discussion, um, I'd like to hear, do you have any books or articles that you would strongly recommend on the
1: topic? So uh, um, modest aside, I really think that my book uh, has a very good general overview. I think that the, that it, it, it tries to fill a gap. So, but I, I aside from that... Yeah, I can recommend I, it too, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I would recommend... Uh, um, uh, William Selinger, Parliamentarism, uh, which is a, a book on the history of, of thoughts about uh, uh, parliamentarism. And the other one would be uh, um, The Failure of Presidential Democracy, which is compiled by Juan Linz and, and Valenzuela uh, and has many articles there. Those are the t- two books, if I, if I may. Yeah.
0: Thanks a lot for, for sharing those. And uh, I will uh, definitely uh, link to them in the in the show notes, so people can uh, can have a look at them. Cool, and also of course to to your book. All right, um, Tiago, thanks a lot for for that discussion. It was very interesting to hear your views, and um, hopefully we can have a, a follow up discussion at some later point in time to see how things developed.
1: Well, anytime. Uh, this was great. This was this was a very good conversation. I, I really like. Uh, to follow you, and, and that podcast is really good. Well, thank you. Cool. Thanks a lot, Tiago. Bye bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please share it with friends or on social media. Or leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. It really helps my podcast and my message to be heard. On my website, rulesofthegame.blog, you find a form to give feedback directly back to me. Or just send me an email to stefan.kybirds at gmail.com. I would love to hear your comments or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Take care.